0: Welcome to Money and Me. Exciting news this week. Apple has partnered with Goldman Sachs to offer Apple Card customers a high-yield savings account. The new accounts carry Apple's brand but are administered through the iPhone. Goldman Sachs is the company's financial partner. So the bringing together of two historic brands in uh, very different markets, underscoring just how some tech giants are jumping into financial services. Later for fun, I am going to compare, I mean, because if you're in Singapore, you can't get these these high-yield, access to these high-yield Apple accounts. But just for fun, I'll compare it with the sort of high-yield savings account rates that you do see here in Singapore. And surprise, surprise, one bank, one local bank outdoes Apple. Which one is that? You'll have to stay tuned. Then we will look at Netflix uh, on the release of its mixed financial results. Netflix, you know, announced it's going to be pushing back the rollout of its password sharing crackdown. Is that a double-edged sword? for Netflix you know getting tough on password sharing Um, it's led to expectations definitely that membership growth and revenue could fall in Q3 rather than Q2 so to what extent will this commitment actually hurt Netflix moving forward the crackdown Arun Pai joining us this morning to answer those questions and shed light and insight on many more good morning Arun how are you
1: Good morning, Michelle. I'm good. How are you?
0: I am doing really well. Always a thrill to speak with you. Arun, by the way, is from the investments team at Monks Ventures, and we do have a special question for him on VC funds uh, at the end of this show. But let's start first up with Apple's high-yield savings account. Arun, we've just seen in the U.S. uh, what happens when banking customers get rattled. They move. So consumers move billions to big banks from smaller lenders after, of course, the SVB and signature bank failures. So with news that Apple, the consumer favorite, now wants to attract U.S. savers with this new high-yield deposit account, 4.15% is the attention-getting interest rate. Uh, What do you think of this move? Do you think uh, this is inevitable, even more competition among financial institutions for consumer dollars? What was your first reaction?
1: Yeah, uh, so a couple of things to this, right? I mean, first, it's always important to go through uh, the finer details in sure. the statement. And the maximum amount that you can put into this account is $250,000, okay. right? So if this is an expectation that a lot of like large institutions or family offices will be looking at this, savings account as a place to park their money and earn that kind of return, Mm. primarily what a bank also focuses on where they make their money from, that's definitely not the case, right? So this is a lot more, it's definitely more angled towards the retail segment. Now what Apple has done in true Apple fashion, which is amazing is provide an amazing product. I'm talking to my friends in the U S who actually opened this account Mm. pretty much immediately because they've had this uh, Apple card from a couple of years back it's an amazing user experience. Everything is seamless, while in the back end, it's powered by Goldman Sachs, or basically uh, ins- it's insured by the FDIC. So, you know, we went through this whole Silicon Valley bank saga. People were concerned that their money is going to get lost. This is a fully regulated product where Apple is just a front end facing layer uh, and providing this amazing customer experience to its users like the way pretty much all Apple products does. Now from a looking at it from all the different stakeholders perspective, right? From a customer's perspective, amazing because I'm getting a four percent interest, which by the way, on average, I believe a couple of statistics came out. Mm-hmm. On average a US savings bank gives anywhere from like twenty five basis points to thirty basis points which means this is providing you an interest of 15 times higher Whoa. than the average retail bank. Oh my right? so goodness. Just, just goes to show the monopoly <laughs> that mm. U.S. financial institutions have, and hence they're able to eke out that massive profit. So will this be a huge dampener on smaller regional banks in the U.S.? Anyways, there was a huge hit on Silicon Valley. You combine this also where a lot of people are just going to be extremely happy with Apple's quality of service and brand and reputation, it's definitely going to have an effect on the smaller regional banks, right? So talking about the various stakeholders again, consumers, obviously a big huge plus Mm -hmm. because they're able to actually earn money. Regional banks, uh, a big downside because Silicon Valley Bank and now customers are going to be basically taking their deposits and going to Apple, especially the smaller retail guys. Mm -hmm. I don't think, again, this will affect the larger banks because they've got such a hugely diversified stream of income and a lot of money just comes not from your small retail accounts, some of them which they've actually been actively happy to close, given the KYC and operations that are required to maintain those. Apple, now we talk about Goldman. Uh, There have been a lot of rumblings about Goldman that's been going on, right? I mean, if you go back a couple of years to when uh, Goldman and Apple first partnered up on the Apple card, there were so many rumors that came out that Apple literally squeezed the last cent of profit, leave alone profit. This was like a loss-making partnership for uh, Goldman. One of the few conglomerates in the world that can actually... Uh, pull that off with Goldman is probably going to be Apple, right? And they did that with flying colors, it seems. (laughs) Uh, Goldman's quarterly results were quite abysmal, especially on the back of huge losses on the consumer side. And knowing Apple, I'm sure they eked out as much of uh, juice they could from this partnership. So for Goldman, it's a bit of a question mark. We'll have to wait and see what the, uh, the end commercials look like. Apple Uh, It's a no brainer. Right. I mean, Uh. large tech companies going deeper into financial services, like you rightfully mentioned, in a very smart manner, rather than trying to. So Apple's going to have this huge regulatory issue anyways. Right. From the consumer monopoly perspective, Apple Store, Google uh, Store, they're both undergoing all sorts of regulatory issues across the U.S., EU and the rest of the world. They really don't want to step on the landmine of financial regulations also, mm. but this way they kind of neatly sidestepped it. They provide the front end, partner up with one of the or a couple of the big marquee uh, financial institutions in the U.S. who bear all the regulatory risk. Mm. But Apple manages to take over a lot of the margins, I would say, and can keep that control over their end customer. Look at the flywheel, right, Michelle? I okay. mean, they started out with Apple card, where you get cash rebate between one to three percent. Okay. All of the if you use the card basically and you use it at a merchant, this cash back basically flows into the savings account, earns four point one five percent interest, and that flywheel just keeps moving. So from a customer's perspective, you're basically locked into the finan- to the Apple ecosystem, which is not just consumer, then became services, then became other hardware aspects. Now it's financial services also. So it's just a fantastic business and hence it's uh, one of the most uh, valuable companies in the world.
0: Oh, thank you so much for that fantastic overview, really, to that question. Does this account prove good competition for banks? Should banks be worried? Maybe some are not the big banks if you think about that max limit of 200,000. So essentially, do you think this strengthens the investment case for Apple, though, showing just how it's able to constantly innovate when it comes to expanding its ecosystem, even banking on its customer loyalty?
1: I definitely think so. And it's, it's not like it's a crazily highly valued stock either. Right? I, mean, I think the valuation is fair to maybe slightly on the more expensive side. But for a fantastic business like this, I think it's a great place. Uh, for an investor to have a certain allocation of their portfolio. Now, this business model is something, you know, coming back to the venture capital world, Mm. we see this quite often, right? A lot of startups, to some extent, even grab, right? Where you go out there, you provide a loss-making product to begin with, hoping to wedge yourself into the consumer mind. Then you layer on the financial ecosystem on top, hoping that you'll be able to eke out a profit from there couple of issues with that. First and foremost, if there is no brand loyalty, then customers kind of don't care. And secondly, actually going into financial services is not easy. There's a lot of regulation, there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of other things and a lot of skill sets that are required within the business. Apple, and considering the amount of resources it has at its disposal, is taking the smart path of partnership first And who knows, maybe in five or 10 years, once they've learned enough from this and the the regulatory risk from the uh, monopoly side and the consumer tech side is gone or dissipated, at least to some extent, uh, maybe they will go into financial services and be the originator of the product also. I don't know. But for now, Mm. being able to extract so much value from increasing and expanding their ecosystem, especially in a massive market like financial services, I think provides huge tailwinds to the stock.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well said, Arun. I would also like to refer to my own Facebook post about five years ago when I questioned, what is the end game for fintechs? And I answered my own question, as I regularly do, uh, saying they want you to leave your money with them. They want you to leave your money in their wallets. Um And um, so I just like to give myself a pat on the back in case you go to my Facebook.
1: You you should be joining Monk Hill, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take
0: the job, Arun. Sign me up. most of my Facebook posts are about shoes, by the way, so don't think that this is a regular thing. Also, I want to share with you, you know, in case you're thinking, hey, what is a high-yield account like in Singapore? Does anything come close to Apple's 4.15%? So, if the thing is, with Apple's account, you don't need... There are no conditions, no minimum amounts, no fees. That's how seamless, frictionless it is. But in Singapore, usually you have to get your salary paid into account and say, just for my illustrative purposes, you're putting 500 on your credit card and you're saving here... Is the effective interest rate you get on your first 100000 with the big three, all right? DBS multiplier account will give you 1.8% per annum. UOB1 account will give you 3.05% per annum, but 5% if you spend on either the UOB1, Ladies, or Evolve card. OCBC Saver 360 will give you 4.65%. Okay, that's just food for thought. And that, by the way, from my friend Tim Talks Money, uh, he comes on the show as well, and, uh, you can check out more of his finance tips on his blog. All right, Arun, let us now switch over to Netflix. Looking, t- it's been looking to boost subscriber growth for a while. Um, we just heard it say that it's going to put it off, but I think if you look, if you read from what I've read, it looks like, uh, it's set to be rolled out in months. This crackdown on password sharing even happens here. People tell me, oh, we, we split the passwords over households. Do you think this is a double-edged sword for Netflix?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could put it better than <laughs> being called a double-edged sword. It's, it's a tough one, right? I mean, there are a couple of issues that Netflix is facing right now. On the one hand, on the back of such a massive customer growth, especially uh, expanding quite dramatically in the U.S. itself, then going global, huge number of consumers coming onto the platform, even if the international consumers were not spending as much in terms of monthly fees, people were hoping and expecting that they would be able to monetize the platform, will be able to monetize these people in the future. right? And that was a huge run up in the stock. Obviously, COVID, I think the stock price went up to like over $600 per share. Then came... Uh, the unwinding of the COVID effect. People actually wanted to step out of their house and not just staying on their couch and watching Netflix. And there was a huge subscriber drop. So then Netflix became confused as to what to do to ensure that they can try to pacify the financial markets and they came out with this whole password-sharing lockdown they announced it a while back uh i believe they actually did launch it in latin america and a couple of other countries and now they are planning on doing that in the u.s which is obviously their biggest market right now so there are two things that are going you know like for it and against it right on the one hand they're launching this ad sponsored uh vertical so you actually don't need to pay the $10, $12, whatever the amount of monthly fees are. Mm-hmm. It becomes like traditional uh, news, uh, traditional media watching, right, where uh, it, it's ad-sponsored, and that could be a nice source of revenue. The flip side, though, is how much does that eat into or how, how much cannibalization does that occur where people are like, you know what? I actually don't mind a couple of decent ads, and if Netflix actually does a good job of knowing who I am, the way it recommends shows to me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if it actually gives me like a, like good ads for me to watch, I would rather do that than and say fifteen dollars per month. So I think there's gonna be it's gonna be a very tough challenge for them to be able to navigate, uh, how many people decide that they are not gonna actually take up the paid subscription. So they're going to stop the password sharing. So, okay, the number of users will go up, how much will go into ads, but at the same time, how many people will go from their paid subscription into the free one. And that I think is something quite concerning. And it's, it's interesting, like the last quarterly earnings, uh, I think Netflix had a, about 1.75 million new customers. Investors were expecting 2.41, so uh, quite a substantial drop. Or less as compared to expectations, which led to them doubling down on this password uh, sharing thing. But then the prop and then they also came out saying, "Look, guys, don't focus on the subscriber numbers anymore. We're obviously a much larger company than we were like five years ago." But then the problem is, if you start focusing on pure financial metrics, mm-hmm. you're looking at a company that uh, generated about eight billion dollars of revenue. Uh, a relatively small increase of only about three and a half percent year on year. The profit it reported was about one point three billion, which was down from one point six billion dollars. And the fundamental problem that that causes after that is this is a company that's currently you know trading at about three hundred plus dollars, three hundred and twenty dollars, or about one hundred and forty billion dollars of market cap. So in terms of any multiple that you look at, uh, revenue to market cap or price to earnings it is still quite expensive. And the only way for them to achieve growth is either ramp up subscriber numbers and hope that the market values that they'll be able to monetize these guys in the future or to be able to charge a lot more money from these guys. Both of which are a little bit of a tough ask given the current market environment. And I think that's where management is uh, going back and forth a lot because of this aspect of it being a double-edged sword.
0: Oh, fantastic. Thanks for shedding light on that. Next up, sometimes it's useful to understand market concepts, particularly when they seem very applicable to the environment you find yourself in. So why have markets been rallying in 2023, where we're still seeing rising geopolitical tensions, We've seen banking turmoil. The risk of recession is expected widely to be imminent. Help us understand this uh, phenomenon. I like how Tom Essay puts it. He's founder of Sevens Report Research. And he said the goal of the market is to extract the most amount of pain from the greatest number of people. It'll even use pain to drive itself up. So basically, uh, what is the pain trade and why does it happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much that, right? Like it's it, it's a feeling that people have where they kind of, especially if someone's done like fundamental analysis, right? And you're sitting there, and you're like, I kind of understand where the valuation of the. I mean, you could be right, you could be wrong. There are value traps, etc. But the, the the fundamental problem, I think, stems from. Uh, this, the, the market, when you have so many participants, especially with the advent of a lot of retail customers uh, being brought on the platform by the likes of your Robinhood and other platforms that basically are providing zero commissions and making this into a little bit more like a casino, Yeah, it's uh, literally to this point of uh, momentum trading. like Just follow the trend, oh, my neighbor is getting richer because they bought some random stock a couple of months back i will go into it right now and you kind of like chase the higher highs i think the greatest example of this is uh taking me back to my first gig at lehman brothers right mm-hmm. back in 2008 when the world was nearly coming to an end but if you think back just to a cup like a year before that 2007 q4 it seemed like everything was hunky dory and the easiest way to become a millionaire was just lever up and put your capital into stocks. Mm-hmm. That pain trade uh destroyed close to thirty-five trillion dollars worth of wealth or sixty percent of the global market capitalization was wiped out in eighteen months. So talk about a pain trade where everyone thought the world was just perfect, lever up and then suddenly uh, the market was like, uh wait a minute, <laughs> and that's not going to be the case. And then it probably overshot the other extreme, right, where maybe it went down a bit too much based on uh, irrational fear. So you see these huge yo-yo effects that take place in the market ever so often. Uh, and it, the, the fundamental problem is it always stems into overcrowded trades, people chasing trends, uh, and sadly, you know, the retail investor is left holding the bag. So from and now, you know, potentially when everyone's looking at it from a negative perspective, where everyone's like, oh, my God, there's an upcoming recession. There yeah. are a huge amount of layoffs. Uh, the banking financial crisis, s v b is going to be like the Lehman moment, et cetera, et cetera, leads people to just keep things in cash and think that, oh, the market's obviously going to have a huge correction of another 30, 40 percent. And then I will go in at lower lows. Uh the pain trade takes place, and uh, the markets have been rallying. So, I, I think the only way to resolve this is again taking a step back, relying on fundamentals, and you know dollar cost averaging. Like if you if you're not that involved in the market, and you're not looking at this in a completely rational manner, and mm. you think you can just keep chasing trends, dollar cost average. Set aside a certain amount of money that you want to invest in the market that you know that you'll be able to invest over cycles of 5 to 10 years and keep investing on a monthly, quarterly basis. There are awesome, fantastic platforms out there that can enable you to do this. Just click in three buttons, put in the amount of money that you want, and everything is seamless, right? So that's the part of technology that I find really, really fascinating and very relevant and very impactful to retail customers, not the 0% commission to Incentivize you to just come onto the platform and punt around.
0: Oh, so worth reinforcing for retail investors. Save your sanity. Don't try and figure out when the pain trade is ready to flip, uh, you know. So, uh, dollar cost average and uh, use use technology to your advantage. All right. I wanted to talk about our next topic because I saw L'Oreal, uh, they have a VC fund. They're called Business Opportunities for L'Oreal Development. And they've recently announced a uh, minority investment in the metaverse and NFT startup. It's called Digital Village. It's all part of a $4 million founding a funding round for the company. So it's L'Oreal's first venture into a VC investment in the metaverse. And I was just thinking, gee, we haven't heard about the metaverse in, in a while. All our attention seems to be moving to, and maybe it's still part of the metaverse, you know, AI and chatbots and all that. But Aaron, since you're a respected member of the VC world, I was hoping you'd give us a sense of your take. Are our top VCs still interested in the metaverse?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned generative AI and not hearing metaverse. Until this whole round of layoffs were happening at Meta, mm. uh, all the employees or many of the employees were so thankful that ChatGPT came out because that immediately meant that uh, Zuckerberg is more focused on <laughs> in developing AI rather than going down this rabbit hole of the metaverse. Look, I mean, this is a technology I think it's it, it's interesting, but is it the right time or place? I'm not so sure. Having experienced the Oculus and a couple of other of these, like, you know, headsets that I have to wear to truly be part of the metaverse, it's a very clunky experience. It's not to the point of where we are, say, like looking at smart, looking at apps on our phone Mm -hmm. versus, say, the smartphone. And what I mean by that is you could have, grab or carousel like sitting over here but if you had to go to your uh desktop or laptop and use it every time that you want to call a cab grab will never be where it is right now right you need that solid infrastructure to ensure that the user experience when i am i'm using grab is extremely seamless and i think that's the fundamental issue where it could be just a timing issue right where facebook was not the first social media platform ever to exist but when it did came out, when it did eventually come out and got invented by zuckerberg uh it was the right time right place and smartphones were also coming up, people were on the move wanted to connect to social media so it took off like wildfire and i think that's a big question that people are having of the metaverse right now where if i'm just a small little digital avatar like moving around on my desktop with keyboard keys is that really that impactful as compared to you know the ultimate vision of metaverse which is you know like player one or something where you're seamlessly moving around the world with the full 3d visual experience and i think from that perspective as a fund we have kind of sidestepped this whole euphoria that's been going on in the market um who's to know who's going to be right eventually? But I, we as a fund, we do believe that this is potentially not the right time. Mm. And we are actively taking a close look at this entire space, be it metaverse, be it NFTs, be it the underlying infrastructure, uh, pick and shovels play in the Web3 space. Uh, There could be some interesting use cases that have come out, Mm -hmm. but they've not yet come out. And Mm -hmm. considering the amount of money and quality of people that have been involved in this space for over, like I would say, I mean, Bitcoin came out in what, 2008, post the crisis, let's say 2010, 2013. So it's been close to 10 years where billions of dollars and some of the smartest people have gone in, and yet true use cases have really not come out yet. So I think that's something that uh, all investors should be paying close heed to Mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, talking about the previous question of just momentum trading or what thing is hot right now. Let me just try and deploy capital into it. We've seen stories. I mean, look at Disney, right? They shut down their metaverse division. And this is Disney that pumped in a fair amount of capital uh, wanting kids and parents and adults to experience disney world yeah. in the metaverse so you know this is uh, I, I don't think it's as clear cut as uh people can claim it is right now that this is going to be the next big technology
0: yeah 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 thank you for that those insights but you never know right i mean look at look at chat gpt it was it just happened in november no fanfare whatsoever in November, when it was launched, and boom, it's here, and all of a sudden, our <laughs> lives have changed. Uh,
1: so. Again, it, it boils down to how much utility is it providing to yeah. consumers at a mass scale, mm. and for that, you need the right infrastructure, you need the right timing, a lot of other factors go behind it. And mm-hmm. I mean, did ChatGBT have existed 15 years ago? Absolutely not. The the, the underlying Yeah, Uh, server infrastructure costs would have been way too expensive. So uh, maybe it could be an issue of that. Yeah, time will tell. (laughs) Yeah, what about the job?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Arun. As always, Arun Pai from the Investments Team of Monk's Hill Ventures joining us this morning here on Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.